As Jesus and his disciples went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha, who welcomed him, welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? I just love Martha. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Brandon. You may be seated. I wrestled this week with how to preach this text. On one hand, it seems to be an incredible text to highlight the importance of the contemplative life. Uh, Like Mary, where we sit at the feet of Jesus and we ask questions and we listen a lot and we learn, that's the contemplative life. And the whole point of learning is so that we can then proceed to be like Martha, the activist, the one who was all about action and serving. So I thought about maybe talking about the contemplative life versus the activist life. But on the other hand, the deeper truth in this text is how Mary was willing to transgress cultural norms. She was willing to challenge culturally prescribed boundaries because she was willing to sit at the feet of Jesus, a place reserved for men. When you were a rabbi, only male students could sit at your feet. And so this is a radical story where we see Mary doing what Mary does best. Mary's always pushing back, always challenging. So this text is about justice. It's about who belongs there, who deserves to have a seat at the feet of Jesus. But it's also about contemplation. So I I was kind of juggling on what to speak about. And I think the answer is both. I think this is a text that speaks towards contemplation, but it also speaks about justice. I was talking with Brian Zond last summer, and I asked him the question of how contemplation relates to justice. And this is what he told me. He said, you cannot have a life of justice and activism without a life of spiritual formation and contemplation. In fact, if you try to have a life of activism without a life of contemplation and formation, you're going to get exhausted really quickly. And there's a good chance you're just going to be a reactivist and not an activist. And I think the world today, if you look at Facebook, I think we are filled with a society uh, that has a lot of reactivists very few contemplative activists. And I believe that's what this text is about. Without contemplation, our activism will simply be aimless doing. It will be aimless doing, maybe at best, at worst it'll be reactive, which is when action has no core, has no base. It's unguided, it's, it's exhausted very quickly. Brian also told me, he said, look at all the people who are activists today, who are older. I promise you, if they're an activist today and they're older, they're probably someone like a Benedictine nun or a monastic, someone who's been rooted in a life of love and faith, or someone who's rooted in some kind of religious tradition that they can anchor their contemplation in. They've rooted their life in contemplation. For us, that's sitting at the feet of Jesus. You'll hear neo-monastics use this term all the time, sitting at the feet of Jesus. We borrow it from this story about Mary and how she was sitting at the feet. 
Here at the Sacred Commons, we are what is called a contemplative community, a community of contemplation. But let me just boil that down. What that really means is we are anti, and I, I am going to use that word, we are anti-reductionistic. Anti-reductionism. Reductionism seeks to oversimplify the faith into formulas and propositions to be learned and then shelved. It's saying, I got Christianity all figured out, now I'm the Bible answer guy. And we at the Sacred Commons do not necessarily favor that position. I think this world, especially this country, is filled with a lot of Bible answer people. And I'm not sure they've done society too much good. Um, reductionism seeks to oversimplify everything. But Christian contemplation invites the believer to seek and hunger and deeply cherish and imagine and become open to the mysteries of God. We had such a wonderful time at the festival this past week. And it was amazing. This was an opportunity for us to have some great encounters. We got to meet some wonderful people. We spent time with a diverse group of folks from all walks of life. And I must say that we found many people to be interested in convergence. Over 100 notes were left. You know, we had this idea that we were going to have a typewriter exhibit. And um, when I first brought that idea up, I did one of these. You know, it's such a nerdy thing. But I can't think of a better metaphor for the ancient future faith. That just because something is old does not mean it's irrelevant. In fact, we're finding more and more often old things are relevant for today. I told you last week Mr. Rogers was very relevant for our time. This week I'm going to say it one more time that a typewriter, something from the past, is relevant. Because we live in such a disconnected age of screens and glowing LEDs. There's something that feels good to put our hands on something, to have a tactile practice. Many of the people who used the typewriter, that was their first time. And we had a lot of students say, what do you do? <laughs> and we had to walk them through it, you know, step by step. This is how you use a typewriter. And you know what's interesting? Everyone who sat down behind the typewriter, the first thing that happened, they, they get quiet. It's a moment of contemplation. We're going to examine what we want to write. We want to think about things. It's more intentional. That's contemplative thinking. It's, it's intentional. It's, it's mindful. Over 100 notes were left. We thought we'd be lucky if we got five. We got over 100. And they're awesome. They're creative. Some of them are funny. Some of them are very touching. Some of them are love letters. Some of them are prayers. They're great. And we're going to share them with you this week heartfelt, joy-giving notes. The conversations were encouraging. Thank you to all who made that happen. Either you made that happen one of two ways. You were there and you participated, or your giving made that happen, because I don't know if you saw the retractable sign. Uh, very visible. That, that was because of your giving, so you made it happen. Thank you, guys. Um, and every interaction was good, but we did encounter one. And I think one out of the hundreds is great. But there was one who was a biblical fundamentalist. And her complaint was, speaking about the sign, her complaint was, I don't see anything on your sign about the Bible. And of course, you know, it was handled really well by my mother. And, and, and she did so good at fielding that question. This, this lady was a fundamentalist and a biblicist. Fundamentalists seek to reduce the Bible down into a formulaic know-it-all-ism. Contemplative Christianity 
is not fundamentalism. In fact, it's something other. It's not reductionism that seeks to control and master any biblical text. I like the quote from William A. Berry. He said this, Contemplation leads to an attitude of reverence. You do not control what you contemplate, but you stand or you sit in awe of it. Uh, I think that's where we need to move as a faith community. We don't control God. We worship God. We do not exercise mastery over God. We worship God. And what that looks like is sometimes I just have to sit at the feet of Jesus and gaze upon him and say, I am not what I ought to be, but thank you, Lord, that you are continuously working on me. Which means that I can have, hopefully, a posture of humility and just try to love people the best that I can. I'm going to fail many times, but I just want to love people the best that I can. And maybe, maybe we are not the know-it-all folks. Maybe we are the folks, instead of having all the answers, maybe we should have more questions. When non-believers come to us and they present their questions, instead of just spouting off some sort of reductionistic rote answer, that's the time to listen and say, brother, sister, I hear you. This is not an easy thing. We don't perfect the faith. We walk it. And so I think contemplative Christianity is really the direction that the church, capital C, is headed in. And it's, pra- it's been practiced for a long time. We are not answer people. Let us be instead the people who have all the questions. I was recently speaking with a friend who graduated with his master's degree in theology, and he said something in our conversation that I thought was interesting, and he said this, now I realize I don't know what I don't know. One time we were attending a, a theological course at General Theological Seminary in New York, and Dr. Chris Green finished his session, and it it was almost like I was kind of taken back by it because it was so truthful. He got done lecturing for a week, and then at the end, the final minute, he says, I just want to sum it up. I'm trying to do a a southern accent. I just want to sum it up by saying, we don't know what we don't know. Whenever you can say, we don't know what we don't know, you're close to the feet of Jesus. This kind of thinking is at home in the Orthodox Church. So the Orthodox Church up the street has this kind of thinking. It's called apophatic theology. It's a theology that celebrates what we don't know about God by choosing instead to practice a negative theology. And what that does is it's, it's saying this, that God is so transcendent, amen? God is so other. God is so beyond us that it's easier to say what God is not than to say what God is. So we could say that God is not creature. He's creator. He's not creature. We can say God is not evil. He's good. He's love. But if you asked us to completely articulate who God is and list it in some sort of formula, we would be mistaken. Because whatever list we would come up with, I guarantee you God is beyond that. And so contemplative Christianity sits at the feet of Jesus. Contemplative Christianity is more concerned about listening and learning so that we can go and act in love, love our neighbor have justice in the world. Contemplative Christianity says that when it comes to God, we are all sketch artists, and we're a little bit cautious of anyone who claims to be a photographer. Someone who claims, I got the photo of God. We would say, eh, I'm not so sure about that. God is so transcendent 
that I think we're going to spend our whole lives sketching. When you feel like you got the photo and you can mount it on the wall and just sit and say, I got it all figured out, that's dangerous. Beware of those who claim to be photographers. Simone Weil said the mysteries of faith are degraded if they are made into an object of affirmation and negation, when in reality, they should be an object of contemplation. I like what my bishop said. Bishop Ed Gunger said this, and I think this will reach us. Faith isn't an abstract absolute. It is a subjective experience with God full of mystery and messy variable. Faith doesn't have to understand in order to enjoy. But that's embarrassing for moderns. We want something more akin to scientific notion or legal code. Yet faith only rings true and makes sense when we are willing to interact with God on a heart level, not just investigate him objectively. When you approach faith too rationally, he says, you lose something. The mystery, the wonder, the life faith accords. So often we say this in our community that the divine life is not a problem to be solved. The divine life is a mystery to be lived. Chris Green adds this, with the majesty and the mystery of God, hear this church, it is not surprising that we get stuff wrong. <laughs> what is surprising is that we could ever get stuff right. So Jesus looks at Mary sitting at his feet and he says that she's chosen the better thing, the contemplative life. There's a time for action, Martha. I, that, I just, to me, it sounded like a Brady Bunch moment. It was Marcia, but... I just hear Jesus saying, Martha, Martha, Martha. There's a time for action, but activism must generate from a life of contemplation. And you do not control what you contemplate, so stop telling me what to do. She tries to boss Jesus around. Do you not care? He says, Mary has chosen the better thing. It's better to stand in awe, better to contemplate, better to wonder, better to be the question people than the answer people. And the minute we stop asking questions, we cease to worship. Because you will never worship what you think you've mastered. Jesus approves of Mary's cultural and theological transgression. She walks right over that line. He lets the boat rock. And in fact, not only that, he approves of it. He says, you go. Sit here. Absolutely. It's not going to be taken from you, Mary. He welcomes her rocking the boat. He approves of it. The question is why. And I like to imagine being there, sitting there, watching this happen. She's just broken all the rules. Mary and Jesus were good at breaking the rules. And people, you know how people are. She just broke the rules. So what are they doing? They're murmuring. They're whispering. They're talking amongst themselves. And they're saying things like, she's out of line. Send her back to where she belongs, in the kitchen. Send her back serving with Martha. That seat is reserved for men. And Martha even chimes in. Send her back, Jesus. But Jesus says that Mary has actually chosen the better part and it will not be taken away from her. What did he just do? I'm closing. He invited them all to contemplate. He welcomed the tension of the moment and he used that to render their fundamentalist tendencies at the altar, at the feet of Jesus, to reimagine, to rethink, to repent, to rework their ideas about God and the created order. In other words, he invites them into the contemplative life. And from 
that center, justice occurs. Now they know that everybody belongs at the feet of Jesus, men, women, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, everybody belongs at the feet. Amen. And that's what we proclaim at the table. We have an open table here. And we welcome everyone to the table. Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. We believe that if you come to the table, that alone is saying, I want Jesus. And so we welcome everyone. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. You can find out more about us at our website, thesacredcommons.com. If you feel connected to this ministry in any way, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your partnership. It helps us continue to do this work in the city of Youngstown, where we are happy to be launching a new church plant. Finally, why don't you come and join us for a service? 323 Wick Avenue at the beautiful St. John's Episcopal Church. We meet in the chapel. Come and worship with us. We'd love to see you there. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.